Yo, yo, what's good? It's your boy Roy, and this is another episode of Sync Gems. Today we have Andrew Lepau. He is a dear friend and a fellow composer. I've I actually hit Andrew up right as I entered the sync space, right as I wanted to know more. And he was so kind to give information because he was way ahead of me. Right now, he is scoring indie films. He is doing the sync game. He does a lot of tension tracks and a lot of composition for trailers and libraries. In this interview, we cover so much ground from networking to collaborating, to knowing when to say no and how to utilize it for your career. We also talk about scoring indie films, what it's like, what are the budgets for indie films, and what does it look like in the process. So make sure to stick around for all this interview because it's packed with gems. If you love this podcast, just make sure to go ahead and give it a five-star rating wherever you're listening to it. This is super important, especially because this is the beginning of the journey for this podcast. And the more ears this goes to and the more listenership this podcast has means I will be able to keep on doing it. So giving this podcast a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening really makes the difference. If you're on Apple and you want to review it, that would make my freaking day. Just go ahead and do that. And yes, this enables me to just keep going, keep doing what I do. And it shows me that this matters to you guys. So make sure you do that. And without further ado, my man, Andrew Lepau. Andrew Lepau. How are you, Roy? What is good? I, I Can I call you a friend? Like, I, I think oh, it's it's the second time we talk. I think I can call you a friend. Are we there yet? Yeah, let's, we're friends. We're, we're fast friends. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, bro, I'm so happy. Um, so w- me and Andrew had a beautiful conversation, but it just got ruined by uh, by the, the platform. Um, shout outs to the platform. <laughs> and you know what? It got us to talk again, because so now we can we can get into the real nitty gritty. And before that, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to 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 like drop that story on me again. Um, what's what's it what's what's been up, and how did you get to where you are right now? How did you did it all start for you? How did you get into sync and to what you're doing right now? Okay, that it's a, a long and winding circuitous path to where I am right now, but that seems to be a trend with a lot of uh, people in the sync world and uh, music composers and music supervisors. So I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Um, you know, just like a lot of other folks on this podcast, I started off playing and playing guitar and writing songs for rock bands, my rock band in high school, uh, playing in as many different musical uh, iterations as I could, you know, I was just in love with music, you know, from a young age. And 
I picked up the guitar in middle school and all I wanted to do was form a band, be in bands, play in bands, um, make music by any means necessary. Uh, I ended up taking jazz guitar lessons in my senior year of high school uh, when I joined the jazz band. And that really ignited this love of like deep learning of music uh, because my I, I was able to uh, really take on mentors, uh, young and old, uh, who really taught me some very deep, uh, profound musical lessons. So I was able to study, I studied classical guitar for my undergraduate degree, and I made some inroads in New York City and, and toured with a rock band uh, out of New York City, and I played in clubs every weekend playing jazz music um, for restaurants and, and small jazz clubs uh, for a while. Uh, I toured after a, a lot of touring and, and dropping an album with, with my rock band. I um, was playing in a club in the, uh, in the West Village, and I just decided this is, um, oh, this is, this is about, what, 2008? Before then, I, 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 I lived in Holland for a year uh, and, and, you know, played music out there. Um, and then I came back and I decided, you know what, I'm going to move to Nashville and just pursue you know, guitar playing, session playing. I, I had gotten a good amount of session work in New York City, uh, and that just made me want to really pursue that in, in the real home of, of session. You know, the I think the best session players, there's so many great, I mean, there's a lot in LA and a lot in New York. and there's something about Nashville that just pulled me there. So I moved to Nashville, uh, pursued the guitar, got to play in with great acts and, and do some amazing session work there. And while I was living in Nashville, I realized, you know what? I've been wanting to write music for TV since college, since I would always, I was always so curious about where this music comes from on television. Uh, I love the music of Thomas Newman. I really just want to pursue film scoring and and what I now know is production music. And so I went onto a Facebook group for young industry people in Nashville. I said, "Does anyone here write music for television?" And one guy. Um, wrote back to me and he said, oh, I do. I'd love to get lunch with you sometime. So we got lunch and he said, hey, can you write some, I've got this brief for uh, a publisher. I had no idea, you know, about how it all worked. He said, can you do a mix of Beastie Boys style hip hop drums meets Ennio Morricone spaghetti Western guitar? <laughs> Those are my favorite things. So I went in my little home studio in East Nashville and banged out some drums on a, you know, MPC MIDI controller and threw on that spaghetti Western guitar and some tremolo. And that first production music track I made ended up getting on the show American Greed within a few months, I think, or maybe a year. And when that happened, I said, wow, okay, I think, 
I really do want to pursue this. And, and since then, um, I've moved to LA um, and I've been writing tracks and got for television, been doing some trailer work and scoring films too, uh, indie films. So that's as brief as I can make it, I think. Word. Um, to be honest, I, uh, yeah, I remember from, from last time we talked, you were, you did like the conversion when you were in New York, you were like, I'm moving to Tennessee, uh, um, uh, uh, to Nashville. And then you converted to country, right? You started playing country there. I bought it. Yeah. I bought a, 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 a telly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I just, you know, went in just, I, I downloaded a, a course on, on, on Telecaster chicken picking. I just fell in love with the, with the style of, of guitar player, Brent Mason. I, um, he's one of the most recorded guitar players of all time. And he has such a unique approach to playing the Telecaster. He still does tons of session work. Um, and I, it, it was kind of elusive to me and I, I really got, down into deep into chicken picking and and really twang style telly playing uh and i just fell in love and i got to play with some of the like just some killer musicians in nashville and what i really loved doing most uh playing in nashville was playing with pedal steel players to be able to stand on stage or in a session next to a pedal steel player and and build these harmonies uh that you know you mix what is a pedal seal what is a pedal, a pedal seal guitar is um what you hear oh, on a lot of the country records it's um yeah a you know it's like almost like that hawaiian sound that yeah i can't <laughs> sing a pedal steel but <laughs> like a, the, it's like a metallic thing and you put it on your knees right yeah, it's, it's the sound of, of it's the sound of sadness basically <laughs> you know in the yeah um, yeah, 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 yeah. And that was just so beautiful to me. And, and all the best pedal steel players are in Nashville. And I always just got along with them so well. And I loved um, combining the, 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 those sounds um, of telly and pedal steel. And I really think it helped develop my ear to play so much music all the time, every day, just playing. Re- I, 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 um, a lot of people would read charts and I can read a chart um, for sure. But whenever I had to learn something, I made sure to just use my ear all the time and, and try to learn a song with like half a listen, you know, one listen, half just as, as quickly as I could to really um, uh, internalize the structure and, and the movement of a song. And then you play so many songs, you, you almost internally, start understanding the just the structure and the science of so much and you know i came i already was a songwriter um and but i i wasn't really pursuing that so much Uh, i really just wanted to play um but the more i played the more there was some something inside me that needed to get out to just compose more and then i ended up talking and, and collaborating with more producers and co-writing more, uh, which is something that I want to, that I love doing is co-writing. And I've been doing that in the sync world now. A lot of what I do is collaborations with another writer, whether it's a singer or another composer. 
uh, and I and I love doing that. Yeah, how does that how does that work in in the sync realm? I mean, like that it's it's a funny it's it's a funny thing you say. I mean, I've I've started wanting to get into that world of co-doing. I mean, usually you send something to somebody and then they send it back. How does it how does the workflow go for you right now? And is it for trailers? Is it for uh indie films? What is it for in your context? Uh, so the type of co-writing I've done, well, you know, my sync, my first real sync placement was a co-write, uh, with, uh, my colleague down in Nashville, um, shout out to Marty Keith. Uh, you know, he said, just give me the drums and give me the guitar. And then he threw on a slide guitar and he threw on the bass and then he mixed and mastered it and then, you know, submitted it to the publisher. Um, so that that type of co-writing, I was, I guess, brought me in. Um, and basically, all you do is it. You don't have to have the same DAW as the the other composer. You just basically um, make sure that the tempo is the same and give them maybe a four click, you know, a one measure count in, just to make sure that everything lines up. And you you bounce them wave files of whatever you have. They drag it into their session and then they add uh, their parts and then they bounce those and, you know, you make a Dropbox or a Google Drive or WeTransfer, anything. And if once you start really, you know, jiving with another, another writer, it goes pretty quick. I, I've made an album in, you know, two weeks, probably, and that was kind of, kind of long because we had other things going on but if you can you can really crank stuff out and what i love about co-writing is you just learn so much that i i um i co-produced uh an, a hip-hop record with with another writer and his drums were just mind-blowing to me i loved how he how he produced and and just processed his drums and i and it's made my production skills in that area. It, it's elevated that because I see how he works and, and I bring it into my process. So I really, I'm a big fan of, of co-writing. Yeah. Co-writing. I mean, co-writing as in collaborating. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very over overlooked and under talked about because I mean, <clears throat> I can tell you that so many things that I've done alone, I feel like I could have done um, with another person and it would have been like twice as fast because it's just taking two minds and putting them into a track is more likely to bring really unique stuff the way that I see it. Uh, even if it's obvious, I mean, th there are people whose thoughts are so obvious, but that's what the track needs, you know, like pop is like, it's obvious, but that's what the track needs. And that's why it's so successful because there are probably in every pop song that you hear in the radio, almost every, uh, there are 11 writers in the room, right? And they're all just like sharing their ideas and something cool comes out of it, which is the, the, these thoughts that are stitched together into this, uh, uh, um, a beautiful, beautiful symphony of that, that becomes the track. 
That, exactly right. And another thing that happens when you're in a room with people is the idea you throw out that maybe that you were, if you were alone and came up with the same idea, maybe another part in your brain is really crit- self-critical and it's like, mm, I don't know about that. That's That's not good. But if you're in a room with other people and you throw that idea out, they go, that's brilliant. And everyone gets hyped about that idea. And then it, the idea is validated and you have to, and then you move on to the next thing and you build mm. quick and you build with this energy and flow. It's the same as playing in a band, you know, just it's to play a gig solo is cool and, and fun and, and could be great. Uh, but playing in a band brings a certain energy to a performance. So I think it's the same when you're sitting in front of a computer with instruments around you. And um, even if it's through the internet, you're, you're on the phone with your other writer, you're on Zoom. Usually it's uh, just texts, you know, like, I love what you did here. Boom. I'm going to send you this. Boom. I wish mm. I did more of it because um, I, I, I am working on a co-writing project now, which is a pop vocal album. Uh, so that's like a more of like a traditional co-writing thing. But yeah, I, I love it. But a lot, most of what I do, I, I just do solo. But it is something that I want to always be working on, working with other people. It, it's also great for you know just general networking too. You, you kind of you have some you have someone else that can validate or tell you you need to work this. You need to do a little bit better on. So yeah, yeah. You're 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 a bit of a master of networking yourself. I mean, I've I've just had uh, uh, Marcus Manderson just talk to him, and uh, he's also a master networker. And yeah, sure. I feel like you you have a bit of a uh, uh, of a networking thing yourself, in which which you told me uh, where uh, you <clears throat> when whenever you want to meet somebody, you offer them. You offer them to go out for lunch, and and so it's it's something that actually Marcus was talking about after you talked to me about it a few months back. But now I feel like it was you have a very cool um, you, way of looking at it. Can you can you elaborate on that and on your view of networking? Sure, I I think I'm a naturally pretty social person. I think that comes with being a lifelong musician. Uh, and, you know, I, I just, just playing music, I think you, you develop connections with people. And I think if you're trying to meet another musician, um, you can kind of assume that they're, they're you know, um, if they're, they've worked in bands and in the studio and stuff, everyone has a certain vibe. You know, you got to be a good hang. Um, but I, I just love getting lunch. There's an energy that's <laughs> weird. I mean, I'm a big, I, I love food. Uh, I, I love trying out new places. I, I live in LA now, so we have great food out here and I haven't lived here too long. So there's a lot of places for me to check out. So, um, I do have a goal to check out all these like really good places, but I really get a lot of positive energy from having lunch with folks, especially folks that I meet for the first or second time. So if I'm, I remember someone said, someone posted on one of these community message boards on Facebook or something like, I'm feeling really down. Like, what do you do when you're feeling down about, you know, your career or you're feeling stuck? 
and stuff. And my advice to them was like, take someone you admire to lunch. It will really just completely turn your, turn your whole mood around. If you, if you, I used to do that in Nashville, guitar players and people that I just admire legends and stuff. If I had met them in passing and just reach out to them and say, Hey, can I take you out to lunch? Everybody loves getting taken out to lunch. Um, and I love, you know, some people when they move to LA, they say, Hey, Andrew, uh, hit me up on, I, on Instagram. I'd love to take you to lunch and ask you about, you know, production music and stuff. And I, I, I feel a little weird about that because I love taking people out to lunch, but it seems starting <laughs> to come, come around. Um, yeah, I, I think that is really cool because then you really have FaceTime with someone like, you know, you and I are speaking through, you know, a zoom type, uh, thing here, but, uh, and, and we can connect at a certain degree, but when you're really face to face with someone in person and then there's a lively energy around you, especially if you're in, you know, Hollywood or, Santa Monica or, or wherever Culver City, um, where there's real industry, there's a certain energy and, and people want to collaborate. And that getting lunch has just done wonders. Uh, I, I would if I would definitely suggest that um, be a thing that happens more. I think because of the pandemic, people are a little more shut in. Just taking that type of you know, we all got used to being shut in and just doing things via the internet. Um, but, I, but you know, I would I would encourage people to really make an effort, even if it costs you know a little bit of a change to you know treat someone to lunch. Uh, you got to see that as a as an investment. Um, definitely a worthwhile one uh, because people love you know just commiserating over food in, in general. I, I believe. I do. So, yeah, that's not really a free lunch as well. Yeah. I don't think it's much of a secret. I think it's just an LA thing. You know, I think that's, I think that's how LA was kind of built. This is, you know, you know, business hour lunches and deals. So I, I love that whole cultural aspect of it out here. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you something else. I feel like, um, it's going to be a generalization, but I mean, Anyway, a lot of go-getters are daytime people. Like, there's a lot of producers, yeah, who work at night and um, uh, are artists who work at night and stuff like that. But um, most of the people I want to do business with and I, and I want to be in contact with are day people. Just like me, just a personal thing, um, personal preference. And also for me, I'm way more alert in lunchtime than in dinner let's say after a whole day's work and i'm just like feeling drained at mm -hmm. times you know like sometimes I'm, i'm i'm feeling sorry for my girlfriend when i take her out after a, a, a long day because i'm just like Phew. so it's like all the air is out of the balloon right. um but yeah but sometimes we have lunch as well so she knows that i'm not like that always but uh, um you know it's it's just uh yeah i, I love that concept and i like that uh that that also vision of this is an investment like this is gonna this this will go a long way and karma 
can be a bitch, but she can also be a, a, a reward or if there's a word like that, like a, 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 a Santa Claus if she wants to. So, I mean, yeah. I don't, yeah, and I, I don't try to take people to lunch and ask them what they can do for me. That's really not, I, I never go into a, a lunch meeting or any type of, you know, meeting for drinks or anything like that with the incentive of trying to get something from the other person. I really just go because I am genuinely interested in who that person is. And I just like, that. that's it. I just want to know, hey. How did you make your career here in such a competitive yeah. industry? That's all I want to know. How, how did you do it? How did, you know, what do you, like, uh, went to lunch with a composer who's become a friend now. And I said, have you just done tons of amazing films? You know, works great, just incredible composer. I said, did you ever study orchestration formally? And he said, no. In fact, I started working and I had to just kind of learn on the fly. And only now, after, you know, 20, 30 years of full-time composing, he said, I'm taking orchestration lessons. <laughs> so that's amazing. You know, just, you just kind of get to it when you can. Um, but, you know, everyone, everyone's just doing their best and trying to make good music in whatever way they can. Mm. What do you think about the approach of like quantity versus quality in sync? Um, uh, I, I definitely think quality over quantity in general, but I also, I think they're not, they're not too different. They kind of exist. They're two sides of the same coin. Um, in order to, get good quality tracks you need to write a lot of tracks you know in order to do anything you need to put a lot of hours into it and so i i i think the quality comes you have a, almost when you do a lot of tracks you start to develop a checklist of things that need to be met in order for you to consider it a quality track and that only comes from just writing a lot of music, so making a lot of tracks. I think if you're stuck in the mindset of like, oh, I need to do three tracks a day or something, you're probably going to be missing out on some quality things if you're really just trying to pump out work like that. I think you can make a quality track in a day or two. You know, some of the, the, the older and wiser folks who have been in this industry a lot longer than I have they'll say you should spend two weeks on a track. You know, if this is like a high quality trailer track, two, three weeks, something like that. But I think in the beginning, you really want to focus on the, you know, getting quality by quantity. And then later, once you really have your system down, then you can really get, you know, um, surgical with things and granular and making sure everything is absolutely perfect. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you, you got to start with just making a lot of, making a lot of different things, seeing where your strengths are and focusing on that. Um, I, I've learned that my strength is tension, true crime, uh, music. That's one of my strengths. Um, so I, I tend to get a little more 
more briefs in that. Uh, but now I feel like I'm at a good balanced point in that genre where I can make a lot of tracks and they, they'll all be at a certain quality if I if they all you know follow these this checklist of things. Like, does it build? Does it have the right breaks? Does it you know is it does it have the right sounds? Stuff like that. Do you think that it's a it's a genre that could be replaced by AI anytime soon? <laughs> oh man, anytime soon, I guess is the question. Uh, maybe uh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm. I'm. I don't know how good this AI is. I don't know if they they've. I feel like they've already made like <laughs> they've already made the AI that we're scared of and they're just rolling it out slowly, you know? Um, but that's just a little, that's a paranoid thought. Um, but I, you know, I've seen Terminator and Terminator two so many times that I <laughs> just like feel like, Oh man, it's kind of getting there. But um, they, the AI seems to be really good at hip hop um, beats, you know, and, and voice matching rapping. Uh, but a student of mine, he made a AI, <laughs> it's crazy. He, he showed me, he's like, check this out. I made an AI cover of Michael Bolton singing, uh, Ed Sheeran's thinking out loud. He's like, listen to this. So he removed Ed Sheeran's vocal and overlaid. He, he said he fed the a- AI bot. I don't know how he did this. Um, all like hours and hours of Michael Bolton. And then he was able to overlay that onto the melody of thinking out loud. And it sounds like Michael Bolton is singing the song. It's, it's crazy. So I, you know, that's why the writers in LA and, um, you know, the writers guild is on strike. They're worried about AI replacement. And I think it's, it's definitely something that AI can be a huge cost cutting measure for things and and it's getting pretty good i think the voice matching is pretty good and you know voice actors get paid a lot um to to that's part of their livelihood is to do voice matching gigs for you know other actors ai seems like that it might come in there in that in that industry uh for tension music maybe um a lot of tension music does have elements you know like kind of thoughtful piano little lines and kind of you know building synth pulses and stuff like that so i can imagine that um that does but who knows how it might be that uncanny valley thing where it sounds almost there but it's not there because it was made by an ai brain so you really do. I think you music is just the thing that you need the human element in. It's yeah. I, I, but at the same time, it's AI could be a huge tool for composers to use. I think you have a, a an episode of this podcast talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We talked with, uh, Leonel. <laughs> it's a great one. It's a good yeah, one. It could be, I mean, we all use AI to, uh, I need to use, you know, vocal remover sometimes. Um, and that's AI, even logic. I don't use logic drummer really. I, I do my own drug drum pr- programming, but that's AI. Um, everybody uses ozone 
for mastering and that master assistant in ozone is AI. So we all use AI to help us. Um, but we don't want to, you know, we want to keep it, you know, <laughs> keep it caged. Yeah. We, I mean, we can't be dinosaurs. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the thing is, that's why I'm asking, like, because I'm, I want to be as up to date as I can on where it's going, because, you know, if it means that composers who are making full-time income from royalties, if their income is going to tank, then that means a lot. Like, I mean, that, that's, uh, um, if one can say a step in the wrong direction, but the, the, also the question is how do we, um, how do we come into this, uh, how do we come in this, into this and, unite in a way that that enables that enables us to keep doing what we love if that makes sense because i mean music is gonna get replaced right now uh spotify from again this is uh, information i've gotten from the inside uh inside a label that does that i do lo-fi with um they've 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 told me that only big, like really big lo-fi artists are going to be able to continue uh, going and mm-hmm. releasing music because Spotify is about to start taking things into their hands and make instrumental music, have people play it for them, and then have their algorithm learn it and and replicate that in many ways, in many different ways. And then they can basically um, pay you um, $1,000 to just like sit, sit, sit in for a few hours and, and write a, a bunch of melodies and write a bunch of chords for them. They'll pay you a thousand dollars. You'll be happy. It's a good payday, a thousand dollars, but then they will take that and they will generate millions and millions and millions of plays because of your few hours. And then they don't have a middleman. Like they're not the middleman anymore. They're making all the money. So yeah, it's it's in the end of the day, a lot of these things are are about the money. Like people wanna wanna make more money, and it's uh, yeah. I try not to get too cynical about the AI thing right now because I've so much. Um, I just have so much work to do right now, and I'm really grateful for it. And I I don't really see the publishers being. Um, being too scared about AI right now. Um, so I'm just going to keep doing that. What I, what I do like about, um, where I am also is I I teach. So it's nice to have, um, a a teaching gig as well. Um, so I can kind of offset that, you know, not just rely on royalties, um, and have a different stream of income. I, I think musicians really do need to have you know two or three or four you know different streams of income i know you um you're big on that uh so we we probably should be shooting for you know the royalty checks right now hardcore um but yeah it's it is it is it is a predicament uh about ai it's just it's going to be something that changes everybody's life so much yeah 100 percent. i mean like it's uh I feel like people are definitely aware that the Napster revolution can happen again. And 
there are people who are standing up to that. And that's pretty cool. Like, again, I'm, I'm going to bring up Jesse's, uh, Jesse's, um, Jesse Josephson's um, um, YouTube channel. And he brings up like there was, um, I think it was the Senate or like a Congress, something like that, something, uh, a conversation with Google. And you, you hear that, like, you can hear on this dude's voice that he's, he cannot expose everything that his AI can do. And he doesn't even want to expose it. Like he's mumbling and jumbling and giving like roundabout answers to, she's like, is this going to compensate artists? And he's like, and he's saying stuff, but it's just like pretty, just like painting it. Oh, we want artists to get paid. And then he doesn't answer. Like, she's like, but are they going to actually benefit from this? And he's like, we want everybody's best interest kind of thing. Like he's going around and about. And it's so interesting just to kind of. um, There's always going to be a wild west in technology. And yes. Um, and they're the people with all the money who are investing in it, they, they need it to be wild west so they can make a lot of money, you know, but you can't just have a, um, I mean, copyright is huge. You can't, you can't just think that, oh, because a machine can copy you and plagiarize you doesn't make it, it shouldn't make it legal. Like. I think I think there's going to be a huge copyright and plagiarism um, 100%. thing happening. So there does need to be regulation on that. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer um, or anything like that. I I just know that like you know copyright law is a is is a big deal. Um, yeah. So so I'm sure yeah. that's all going to get taken up. Yeah, and I, I was talking to my friends to my homies about like the. Pharrell thing and also the Ed Sheeran thing where it's just, uh, of course, I I can't, I'm not going to say if I agree or disagree with the lawsuit and everything and what I think about labels being greedy and wanting more millions, but it actually showed the world that there's big money in in, in, in the music industry and people are willing to put on big lawsuits and nobody wants to fucking sue the big boys. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to get sued by, by a Sony or by a universal or a Columbia. Nobody wants that. So, I mean, I feel like even a, a big, a big fish, like, like Google, there are things they can get away with and there are things they can't. And if labels will, will uh, unionize and not unionize, but just like get together and start, really uh going headfirst into this there will be some trouble and i think they know it that's the thing um that's my theory anyway around that do you do you allow yourself to get too bogged down with thinking about ai or do you just try to push ahead and and just keep writing and and get your breathing no man i'm 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 making more music than ever that's great um i just think I just think the way that I'm thinking right now is people are telling me, even top composers are telling me, look how things are. Now, like, no, I'm not thinking how things are. I'm thinking about how things maybe will be. And then I'm creating music that is unmatched to anything that I can actually pitch and say, this is the new shit I have. Um, Maybe AI will catch up to this, but you're going to be the first person to, you're going to be the first label first lucky label to put this thing out yeah. into the world. That's great. So you get this. 
Yeah, you still got to make yourself, uh, you know, a powerhouse artist. A feeling feeling is, a feeling that I have is that generic music, like things that are generic and repetitive, again, like, again, lo-fi and things that are very monotone are going to be replicable. But the the creativity of the human mind i am hoping will not be able to be predicted in the coming 10 years mm-hmm. so so hopefully uh, um we can make some real dough in this time and really get together and make some really cool shit happen yeah let's do it <laughs> um so um, another thing like i don't know how how working with indie um, film looks like, and I'm sure that the budgets kind of vary, but what what does it look like in your level, and what does it look like in the beginning? How do you how do you approach it, and if somebody needs in kind of an intro to that world? Oh, well, that's a great question. The um, there's a lot of aspiring film composers. There's probably for every successful film composer, there's just thousands of aspiring film composers. Um, and it is such a, it is such a um, hard freelance game to get into. Um, there's different routes to go. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people will go to school like Berkeley um, or USC uh, and study and get a degree in film scoring, which is, you know, it's great that they make programs like that. And then they'll move to LA and they'll try to get an assistant ship to a composer in LA um, and just make their whole life, you know, work, you know, 60 hours a week, just as an assistant cleaning up um, stems and um, cleaning up literally with, you know, a broom studios um, and, getting groceries for the composer and, and doing all these things and, and then learning uh, the ins and outs, you know, what they can as like type of like almost internship assistantship. That's, that's a pretty common route. That's very competitive too. Um, for me, I, I haven't gone that route because uh, I think I started getting production music placements first before really getting indie films to score. Uh, so when I was living in Nashville, I, I scored a few films out there with um, local production companies and, and filmmakers. And I just joined a Facebook group. Um, it was called like the Nashville Filmmakers Guild um, and would respond to classified ads for composers and got some gigs that way. And, and the way I got that gig was I would send them you know, albums, production music albums of, of stuff I did that got placed. Um, and that, that I think really helped put my resume, you know, my resume and my, um, um, portfolio to the top, uh, when they were choosing who would compose for them. Now that I'm in LA, I'm scoring a feature film currently indie feature. So not a big studio, obviously not a big budget, but it's a budget that what's a what's a big budget like let's say what's a what's a do you have like a range of what's a big budget for an indie oh. film what's a smaller budget for an indie film it it ranges it really ranges it's really what yeah, you're comfortable sure. with um you know 
So uh, a big budget for an indie film. Oh man, I don't know. It really is is dependent on if you could if you could get you know like fifty grand I think that would be a really cool you know but um, it all depends on the budget and depends on your credits and your negotiating skills and whether you have an agent or not I don't have an agent. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends how much music you need to write. Is it an indie film that's an hour and 45 minutes long that needs 30 minutes of music? Is it an indie film that's a documentary that needs wall-to-wall music? Uh, it all depends. And you just got to, I guess you can negotiate, but a lot of the time you're just saying, yeah, I want to do this. Um, but I've never taken a project where I didn't... Um, where I wasn't happy with the comp- compensation. So that's a thing that I have because um, I feel like if you do something for free, and, and I know there's a lot of people that do work for free, and, and I'm not knocking that if you think that's going to help your career. Um, I just feel like you get, a, you get asked to do a lot more <laughs> um, for, for free. Uh, so I've not worked for free. Um, but but now um yeah i i think it's just you know what what you can settle with you know and and how does it work into your bigger picture of your other incomes too and how much you're willing to do yeah and how much you're willing to give of your time it's it's so so important to be intentional about all that because if you i mean uh, um i can definitely see this thing uh, being a great thing, like the, uh, doing f- something for indie film, but if it puts you in a bend in the next month, and then you're an asshole to your girlfriend, you you start being more distant, you start being more stressed, which happens, man. Oh, yeah. It happens <laughs> all the time to musicians that are just like doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff. Then they, and I mean, I was there where I found myself with, I, I lived with $8 in my account for years. So I've been there, like in New York, bro. Mm. You know how New York is. It's not fun to live with $8 in your bank account in New York. So it's just being able to put you put you first as opposed to uh, um, saying, oh, my career will be great. But wait, okay, your career is great. You, f- you have a feeling that you should say yes to this, but what about the rest? Like what about... Uh, um the other thing is how do you want to show up for the your friends and i mean it's it's important it's all these things are important because if you're going to be an asshole to your connections because of this then this is not worth it by any means because you're going to have to create new connections you're going to ha- have to invite new people for coffee because you burnt the last bridges so yeah i, I, I feel like there's there it has to be as you, we're all grown ups here there has to be a a rational decision making pro- process here with the feeling in the heart. You know, if the feeling in the heart is like so strong that you're like, I gotta, gotta, gotta do this, then of course, by all means. But if it's a decision where you can go rationally and 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 think what it'll do to the big picture, and big picture is also in three months. You know what I mean? So it's just like 
this is something that that I've learned the hard way that has to be has has to be taken into consideration. I moved to LA to be a film composer. So I'm I I feel like I've come in. I, I haven't come here saying I'm going to say yes to every single project because I got asked to do. Uh, I love writing horror music. Uh, I did a horror film uh, based out of Nashville, and I, I loved the whole process of it. And is just such a fun movie to make. Uh, and, and the people, the collaborators, the director, producer, everything. There was there were just great, great people to work with, and I and I loved it. Um, and I came out here and then someone approached me and said, Hey, would you want to score my horror movie? And they said, but it doesn't pay anything. And I said, well, I can't do that then because, you know, I would love to score another horror movie, but I, you know, I gotta, can't just, can't just do that. <laughs> you know, like I did, I do want to be a film composer, but I, I can't work for, for no money. Um, Cause it is work and it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of revisions and it's a lot of um, uh, now a thing in, in film scoring is the, uh, the, con the conform where you, since it's so easy to edit picture now, directors and editors will just send you a new edit and then you got a, your perfectly scored music to the original edit. They've lopped off four seconds here and three seconds here. And then you've got a, you know, like a Rubik's cube, like figure out how this yeah. music is going to fit around it. So um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Um, so I only, I, like I said, it's something that I learned um, by being a, a musician um, doing gigs and stuff is when I moved to LA, I said, I'm only going to take on projects I know I'm going to love. And I've really, lived by that and it's helped me um make decisions so saying no is kind of a power move you know you can say no to something and because you just got bigger things going on um and and it's good to say no you you should take on the projects that are going to help you grow give you income make you a better artist make you a better composer and say no to the things that you're not excited about and if if it's a passion project and you want to do it with some friends and something and, and you know, it's total passion, you're doing it for free. That's totally fine. But uh, just like taking a gig, you know, what is it? Music, money and hang. It has to, it has to uh, check off two of those three <laughs> to make it worthwhile. Um, so yeah, this this film I'm working on it's 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 all three it's music money and hang it's it's checking off all three I, I love this film um, that I'm working on so I I love the, the director is super cool um, we're very we have a good rapport the, the way we communicate we have good communication about the music um, so we're making a good movie and it's great to be a part of the project. That's yeah, and that's that's what I love. You just got to do the projects that you love. You got to write the music you love, and it's gonna and your your talent, your love is gonna show through in that. If you take something you love, if you don't love it, it's probably gonna show that too. Mm. Yeah, you're gonna be miserable, <laughs> man. Um, I think I think we've covered more than more than enough for the first time. I, I'm I'm you know I'm coming to LA because of you actually. I'm coming to LA in uh, this October, so 
I'm definitely going to take you for coffee. And, um, and, and yeah, what, what is a last piece of advice you want to leave the listeners with? Oh, oh, wow. That is put on the spot. Um, you're not going to ask me that your, your, your common list of questions. What if, what if I had $500? (laughs) Yeah. Fuck $500, man. You just dropped $60,000 on the table here that people need to take. Okay. What would be the last piece of advice? Um, Oh man, just, just take it as it comes, you know, just do, do do your best, you know, don't, don't get too, um, don't get too caught up in in the minutia of things. Just, just do a good, that's all I can say. I don't know if this is good advice, just uh, general advice. Take it as it is. I got here. I got it. Do good, be good and be good at what you do. Sheesh. Yes. Do good, be good, and be good at what you do. Mic drop. <laughs> I'm not going to add that sound and fade. I just did it with my mouth. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you, my man? Uh, you can go to my website, andrewlepow.com. Lepow spelled L-I-P-O-W. I'm also on Instagram at Andrew Lepow. And those are the places you can find me. That's where I'm most active, either on Instagram or my website. Word. I'm going to leave that in the show notes for everybody to check check out. And bro, I'm sending you all the love. Uh, and uh, I will see you in October. And yeah, let's keep the conversation going, brother. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Roy. Yo, yo. Andrew is an awesome dude. I've had so much fun with him. Hope you did as well. If you dug this podcast, please make sure to give it a five star wherever you're listening to it. Rate and review it on Apple and Spotify. You can also follow it, which really helps promote the podcast. Also, if there's something you've learned from it, just share it on socials. Yeah, I throw out there some gems you can go follow. Sync gems on Instagram. I throw a lot of things that I find valuable. And yeah, let's keep in touch. Let's keep the conversation going. Sending you all the love. Sync gems, we out. out. out.